You are listening to Lord Have Mercy, a podcast about God, sex, and the Bible. I'm your host, Crystal Cheatham. Today's guest is Elizabeth Jeffries, author of the forthcoming book, Through the Kaleidoscope, How Exploring Cell Biology Transforms My Relationship with God. Elizabeth was raised in an evangelical, fundamentalist, non-denominational Christian church, and our discussion focuses on her journey about what brought her into that into this space of openness and acceptance. I was so curious, and I think you're going to love what we talked about. So just to get started, um, yeah. I wanted to compare notes about our sheltered upbringings. <laughs> because oh, you talk about, on your website, being a homeschooler, and I'm like, girl. Yeah. Oh my God! Were you homeschooled as well? I wasn't homeschooled, but pretty damn close because my oh um, Adventist institution was so small that I was basically just going to um, like a farmhouse school with my brothers and cousins. It was just us, wow. and like a couple other and people. Cousins. So yeah. this is another similarity because yes. I'm my whole extended family is right? also in the same church. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So wait, wow. What was it like? Okay, tell me a little bit about homeschooler you. Oh my god. <laughs> tell me the truth. So, homeschooler me was the most earnest kid yes. you have ever met, right? Okay. I was so, I mean, I was so into it and I bought in to the religious piece and also like school was always, I always enjoyed it, you know, yeah. and I never had a voice in my life kind of telling me that it was bad to be a nerd. So yeah. I just like uninhibited went full force toward nerddom, you know? Yeah. And in there's ways I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Really? You know, um, but then I, it was like, there was, there were my academics, um, that was really important to me, especially in high school. Like I, I decided I wanted to be a scientist, a research scientist when I was in sixth grade. That's crazy so all through high school, I was just like gung ho about, you know, how, what do I have to do to get into college? And I was really, I was really anxious because I, you know, being homeschooled, you don't know how you stack up compared to other students. And so I, I was mm -hmm. like, what am I going to do? And how am I, you, know, you don't know. I mean, I didn't know that many people who were finishing homeschool and going to college at all. So it's like, I don't know how this is going to turn out. No, wait, uh, how, how long were you homeschooled from what year to what year? Um, 2005 is when I like graduated, finished high school. Wow. So, so when, when we started homeschool was not normal. <laughs> no. like, there were, you did not, I mean, today it's so different. Everyone has a cousin or a friend or a neighbor who homeschools their kid. Okay. But back in those days, like people, if we would be out with my mom, like say we went to the grocery store in the middle of the day on a weekday, yeah. we would get questions about like, why aren't you in school? You know? And my, like my grandparents were so wary of the whole thing. Yeah. They had never heard of anything like this yeah. and were concerned about like, is this legal? Are you, you know, are you just not educating your children? Is that what's happening here? Yeah. Um, so it was really, I kind of had this feeling of like being the weird one. It's not that way anymore. I don't think for homeschooling. I don't know. I mean, I don't yeah. know, but like when somebody tells me that their kid is homeschooler, I'm like, Oh, that's what that is. You know? Cause usually they are, at least I, at Homeschoolers today seem uninhibited in the same way maybe you were, where you're just like, didn't realize that you were such a nerd yeah. and you're probably yeah. just like dancing in the middle of the, of the supermarket without really thinking that it was weird to be wearing two different color socks. Like, holy, holy, right? yes, yes. <laughs> and like, I don't know, you stare at somebody and then if that's coming off of them, that just like, like, 
I don't quite understand any social norm that would tell me that I can't. Like that just feels like homeschool territory. Big time. Big time. My older brother, Albert, was um, homeschooled and... I'm not ashamed to say this. He is so weird. He's a fucking weirdo. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I try to, I try to keep my weird, you know, close to the vest, but I, I for sure. Oh, come on. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I can get into weird territory real fast. <laughs> you just, you don't learn those just like social gauges, social cues. Like how do I appear in this room? Yeah. Like I felt like I had to do all of that in college, you know? Oh yeah. Like, okay, how do I, like, how do I present myself in this room, in this space? You just like, you don't know. No, the social rules just don't apply. Um, Right. But I can say that um, homeschoolers are usually the most uh, respectful when it comes to relationships with adults and how they speak to them. And I have to appreciate that. Yeah. As like an older adulter now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. When I talk to a homeschooled kid, my my nieces and nephews um, are all homeschooled and I have like... 20 some nieces and nephews and they're all very fundamentalist still Mm -hmm. and like the whole deal. Um, but when I talk with them, it's, it it is a breath of fresh air. They're so respectful. They're so sweet. They're just like really kind. Um, all of that religious stuff. I mean, um, like, like, I guess maybe like you is incorporated just like folds into the, snapshots I have of, of being a youth, you know, yeah. because I've come so far from it. And I'm wondering if you kind of have that same experience where, um, yeah, it just, it feels really far away. Absolutely. It feels like a different life. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. Well, that wasn't my question. What I really wanted to ask you following up was like, because your work is, is spiritual and then also sciencey. Yeah. And my first experience with like understanding the the world um in like a sciencey way was a wrinkle in time. Did that have come on, yes? Yes. <laughs> yes. So I, I one of the first um spiritual experiences that I had surrounding science. Oh my goodness. Was with a wrinkle in time? Yes. Absolutely. Before it got like super what famous. What a beautiful, beautiful. Yes. Back before, before anybody, anybody knew about yeah, it. It was right. just so good. Right. When I was like probably 12, 13, like the age that Meg was in mm-hmm. the book, yeah. that Meg is, um, and feeling like starting to kind of develop this awareness that like, oh, I'm the... I'm the really nerdy one. And, you know, I, um, I'm really drawn to nerdy things and nerdy people. And so that just sort of affirming my science nerd identity, that was a big piece. And just the, the way that science can be more than data that, you know, Mm -hmm. is there a story in here that's deeper, that's something more just more than what we can measure I don't yeah I just don't think most 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 people would see that there's a connection between like science and spirituality right right but this book really like it opens up that door yeah Yeah. when did you start to explore the natural world because as a kid I was in love with nature only because I had so many people living in my house that outdoors was like a place to be alone. Yeah. Do you have a big family? My family is huge. I grew up, I have three brothers and then I had a bunch of male cousins that also lived with us. So tomboy oh, me, yeah. that's why I'm so, um, surrounded wow. by boys. Yeah. Yeah. But wow. then also like the, the tradition of the Sabbath meant that we had to like shut everything down. Um, and also be outside. And so I remember Friday nights, um, Saturday, um, Sabbath nights and Saturday mornings where 
we would watch like the discovery channel, you know, and like, and it's still so soothing to me that sometimes I fall asleep watching blue planet. I, I love that sort of thing. Yeah. I, when I was, um, this is actually how the book begins. Mm. I, I was like four or five around that age. And I asked my mom what the stars were in the sky. Like, Mm. you know, what really are they? And she told me that they're suns, like really far away suns. And that was, that was the first time that I was that I remember just being amazed by nature and like, are you kidding me? Those are <laughs> suns. They have to be so far away. And if they're suns, then do they have earths around them? Like, do they have planets? You know? So that, that was the first time that I remember like feeling in my own brain and my own body, that sense of awe, you know, that sense of just wonder and, and also like, what are we doing here? What is, what is this? What is earth? What is life? Um, how did we find ourselves here? Again, that sense of just wonder, like, well, if there are all these suns out there, how did I end up on this planet around this sun? You know? Um, so that, that blew my mind and it was just from then on every new area of science that I learned about in school, it was like, I found something in there that pulled me in. Um, and that's if eventually what happened with cell biology, um, which is where I, I did most of my graduate work and, um, where I, I've worked, um, is in cell bio and just the fact that we're made out of this stuff actually in a wrinkle in time. I'm not sure if it was a wrinkle in time or one of the um, the sequels, yeah. like the sequel or the third in the trilogy, but Madeline Langle talks about the way that like the, the mom, Meg's mom is studying mitochondria and yes. she, right. Yes. Yes. And she explains how to like, from the perspective of a mitochondrion, a cell is a universe and from the perspective of a cell, a body is a universe. And that blew, I remember when I read that. And there's like the a book. whole in chapter the- of like Meg shrinking to that and becoming yes. part of that like vibrant or vibrating community. And it's, yes. and I was just like, this is so cool. This is the best book in the world. So amazing. Like we can just keep leveling down and finding new worlds to explore. Um, that just gets me jazzed. Yeah. I think that's so cool. I mean, that book did so much for both of us. For me, it set me on a path towards just like, I, I started to just love writing and creativity and creative writing. Yeah. And you went the complete opposite. (laughs) Uh It was like double down into this nitty gritty and yeah. Curiosity and questions and like, that is really dope. That's beautiful. That really is. Yeah. How old were you when you read? Um, I had, yeah, I had to be between 11 and 13. Like this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Same Mm -hmm. age. Um, and then I read it again in an entirety in college just because I like somebody had the entire book set in their car and I was like, can I get that? I Um, need this. Yeah. And I still have it to today. So sorry, Christian. You never got it back. (laughs) Sorry. Um, He's, he's over it. Yeah, we could do a podcast, I think, just on A Wrinkle in Time. That would be a lot of fun. Lord Have Mercy is brought to you by Quaker Speak. Quaker Speak is a weekly video series that features interviews with modern-day Quakers and seekers on a range of topics. They invite you to join them. They've created a playlist of videos they think progressive Christians like you and me just might like. So visit them at quakerspeak.com slash ourbibleapp and subscribe to follow along. That's quakerspeak.com slash ourbibleapp. Don't forget the dashes. Our-bible-app. Yeah, so I guess this is a two-part question. Um, you talked a little bit on your website about your parents Mm -hmm. telling you that you, um, or giving you a way to own your own faith or take it seriously. Yeah. Um, 
we'll just start there. How did that work? Yeah. So I, I mean, I grew up in a conservative evangelical fundamentalist church. So the, that community also being homeschooled, I really didn't have a community outside of that. This was, these were my friends. This was, um, the circle people I looked up to were all contained within that, that church. Um, and it was a family affair. My uncle was the, the head pastor. Okay. Uh, and I have another uncle who is also actually now he is a campus pastor of a of another campus of this church. So, and my dad has always been involved in leadership. Um, I, my parents were part of the Jesus movement in the 1970s. So they responded kind of this, you know, that this, they both had a spiritual experience after growing up, um, not finding much meaning in their faith when they were around 17 or 18, they both became born again and had just a true, um, a sense of their purpose and a sense of their meaning, right. Found in, in Christ. So they embraced, um, biblical literalism. They embraced the exclusive, the idea that Jesus is exclusive and that the only way to a literal heavenly afterlife, which is what we believed in, we believed that people could either go to hell or go to heaven. And the only way to be sure you could, that you were going to heaven is if you prayed a prayer to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and savior. Say this incantation. (laughs) Yes. Say this. Say Right. Say this incantation, break the spell. Yes. um, And you'll be ferried onward magically. Yeah. Yeah. Very magical. Uh, so, so they gave that to me and also biblical literalism was really important to us, which is, you know, just taking the modern English translation of the Bible. We use the NIV, um, translation of the Bible and applying that directly to our modern American lives. What were we thinking? Uh, Yeah. And, and really stripping those texts of any cultural context that they had, any historical context that they had, um, any any particular interest or agenda that the author may have had, um, leaving all of that aside and taking texts like wives submit to your husbands or you know wives obey your husbands that was a um a translation that we used or a, you know a phrase that we kind of looked to um to guide us or women stay silent in church, like all, all of these uh, turns of phrase that we took literally and applied in our lives. Um, so I grew up in this and reading the Bible was a really important part of, I mean, not just my family life, but my homeschool curriculum every year. I had Bible as part of my schooling and I read through the entirety of the Bible most years. Like we, you know, we would read like three, I know, which I look back now and I'm like, man, I really was hitting this hard. Dedicated. (laughs) Yeah. And it was, it was really important. Um, And it's also, it's important to me as I, when I look back over this story to realize that this was not just my parents, um, pushing me or forcing me or requiring me like this was a choice that I did make, you know? Um, and I think I, I wasn't really given many viable options or alternatives. Right. So I'm not sure how much of like a real choice was. (laughs) Yeah, no. (laughs) Right. Right. Like I, I didn't exactly have, another option like another um, more progressive family no. to live with yeah there's like right, there's, exactly or like oh okay cool I'll take care of my own schooling on my own then <laughs> yes know? like I, I was rather beholden um to this you know to their views but but I did buy in you know um mm-hmm. and I made it mine uh a really important 
a passage of scripture for me was in in Psalms about the the heavens declaring the glory of God. Um, I took that to mean that nature shows us who God is, that nature shows us um, the image of God. And I I was, so we always used a homeschool curriculum that was written by Christians, um, including, and here's the, here's the winner, including science curriculum that was written by Christians uh, from a Christian perspective, um, which I would now argue like isn't a thing, you know, <laughs> there's not, there's, it, there's not a different. No, like, because they're talking about like. It doesn't work differently if you oh, yeah. are, you know what I mean? If you are a Christian as opposed to if, if you're anything else. Christian science is really hard though, because um, everything goes back to Adam and Eve and creation Nothing goes back to like, yeah, you know, not like, not like millions of years, but just like okay. thousands of years. That's Christian science, right? right. And and there's so much shoehorning of data um, into a historical timeline that just doesn't work. You know, um, yeah. There's a real, and there are a lot of rabbit holes that. Like I knew other Christian homeschoolers who are kind of like going so hard into um, like we need to be able to defend creationism. We need to be able to, you know, prove evolution wrong. Um, I thankfully I never really bought into that. And I'm I'm really grateful that I could kind of that for whatever reason, whether I like sniffed it out or if I was just not, you know, not interested for whatever reason, I kind of pulled back and I just didn't really, it's like, you know, I, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm going to go into my college biology classroom and start like raising my hand and challenging my professor on like, no, I don't think as a freshman, I'm going to do that because that, that kind of was, um, something that I saw other students doing or wanting to do, you know, is kind of pushing back against these ideas. So it's all it later when I was in college and I learned what a confirmation bias is, I realized like, that's what we were doing all that time. We decided, um, you know, beforehand what the answer was. The answer is the earth is, I mean, I was told 6,000 years old, you know, yeah. uh, which means it would be like, because that's when we can trace biblical stories. Yeah. 6,000 years old. So therefore it must, uh, Adam and Eve must been like real human beings who all of humanity has descended from that whole deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it, so it's, you know, it, by starting with that as the answer, the earth is 6,000 years old. And then we would look at data and ask ourselves how we can fit that data into or how we can make that data support that conclusion, um, yeah. which is backwards. And it's not the way that <laughs> investigation works. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, it was a it was rather confusing because I was given a framework where I, I was told that my faith would conflict with what I knew about the natural world. And I was told how important it would be to always choose my faith. Um, and that all that just looking back now, I can see that that, is a false dichotomy. These two things don't have to be at odds with one another. Mm. And if I believe in a, if I believe in something, some type of force that created everything that's here on earth, then that something that God would, would never lead us in a direction that's at odds with what is like, you know, that, that God is somehow going to be in nature, right? 
or at least expressed, manifested in nature in some way. I love that. I totally see God in nature. And it's like the first and last place that I go where I feel that awe and wonder and um, just overtaken by a spirit that is much bigger than what is in me. Lord Have Mercy is also brought to you by Mission Year. As an organization, they root themselves in the neighborhood. You can become a part of the local community, worship and serve alongside neighbors, and live into being advocates for solidarity and justice. With Mission Year, your work will be to fall in love with Jesus in the city, to live and grow into your gifts and purpose, to build beloved community across all dividing lines, and to advocate for justice in your neighborhood and ultimately the world. Find out more at missionyear.org slash program, and you can also sign up there too so that's missionyear.org slash mission dash year dash program so the last time we we actually spoke was together at a bachelorette party in a gay bar mm-hmm Yes, which is so far away from the young Elizabeth that was reading the Bible back to back yearly, yearly. I don't think I've done it one time. Yeah. How, how on earth did you make that jump to just being like, like so accepting of other people that you even have LGBTQ friends, right? Or um, being able to understand the like just the way that um, maybe spirituality and the Bible actually um, can live alongside of what you know of science and the actual age of the earth. Um, yeah. All this to say, just like how 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 did you make those? How did you make that jump? That's a great question. Uh, just- so <laughs> this transition, I like to kind of think of my like the, the transformation of my faith that's happened over the past, like really over the last decade or so, I like to think of that bookended by two events, two experiences. Yeah. And there's a quite a span of time in between. So that will give you the, you know, the, that will show how slow this <laughs> process was okay. because you're right. Like a homeschooler, homeschooler me who like wasn't really sure that women should speak in church and like and never never ever um had a female preacher or pastor and didn't believe that women should do you know like that version of me yeah um who believed that the bible was literal and that we can take it literally uh would not have been at a bar, let alone a gay bar, <laughs> right? right? Um, <laughs> celebrating a gay marriage. Uh, so. But like on a Saturday night before Sunday. Like. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> so many things. So, so, so sinful. Um, but that transition really started when I went to college my freshman year. This was the first time that I was outside of my world, my world where everyone believed the same things as me. And if they didn't, we very simply categorize them just as different from us. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the world, that world seemed so, um, the boundaries were so clear on who was in and who was out of the kingdom of God. And, it, it wasn't that hard for me to believe myself to be firmly within the kingdom of God. Like I could, I could perform some behaviors. I could arrange my thoughts a certain way. I could, I could make certain mental assertions and because of that, believe that I was in the kingdom of God. So I left that very structured world, very rigid world and just completely black and white world. And I went to a public university, uh, which was a big difference. Yeah. I can imagine. Your parents weren't mad at that. They weren't like, how dare you go to this heathen school? I was, 
I was going to be a light to the to the world. Right? Oh, okay, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And isn't the world just shouldn't they they're just so grateful to have me. Yeah, they're know? freaking lucky. Like, right. They're really lucky to have this light. Just like wait, um, how manipulative <laughs> is Christianity where they're like we're going to send people out there to pretend to be your friends, but really just try to get to bring you back to our church. God, yes. So manipulative. Um, and my, I mean, that was my, in, in the book, I actually, exp, I, I kind of explore how the definition of love in my evangelical context was rather manipulative. Um, uh, and I kind of unpack that and, and I, uh, imagine a new way of seeing love, um, actually inspired by biology, inspired by biological systems, forming communities. Mm. But, but yeah, I, I went into this context and the whole purpose was like, I, I knew ahead of time, I knew a church that I was going to go to, every Sunday on campus, they had a college ministry. How wonderful. Right. So, and I, I planned ahead of time, like, this is the church I'm going to go to. This is the college ministry I'm going to go to. And it wasn't that hard, you know, a a large public university, you can find it, you know, all all you have to do is go to, at least at, at that point in time, all I had to do was go to the this Christian group and I would, and I met a lot of friends, Mm -hmm. um, who believed the same way that I did. Um, but I also met a lot of other people, a lot of people who, who believed differently and who saw the world differently. I met people who, uh, you know, who didn't believe particularly in any, any God, any one God. Um, but they were still, all of the things I had been told that those people were, these people were not meaning like they were right. Right. Like I was told that anyone who didn't believe in this type of God, this one particular God we believed in would be, um, selfish and greedy and lazy only out for themselves. Right. Uh, Yeah. Right, but like if if you found out that like they were um, engaging in premarital sex, that they were like ruining themselves and slutty, and um, I, if you found out that they like, I guess in my in my experience, like it was more than that. It was like going to the movies and watching rated R things, and like you, they were yeah. spoiling their hearts, and like people who actually went to a bar were just like drunks and alcoholics. It was like, it wasn't just like toe on <laughs> yeah. the water, it was just like deep end. Like if you did yeah. this one thing, you yes. had no control. You know, you were an, binary an thinking. Like yeah. there is, you know, you're I, you are either self controlled and prim and proper, or you yeah. just out of control or they were just like horrible and mean and would you know steal your money and steal your time and untrustworthy yes Yes. like what yes right Uh, there there was a definite narrative that i was given the people who are not christians are going to be all of these horrible horrible things but then i met those people and they were none of those horrible things And they were nice to me, and they didn't... even though they knew I was a born again Christian evangelical uptight girl, <laughs> right? Yeah, but they knew that about me, and um, they weren't trying to like drag you back to their Satanist lair. And give a shit, <laughs> yeah, they didn't care. Can I swear on here, by the way? Yeah, <laughs> please. Um, yeah, they didn't care. Uh, you know, what I believe that wasn't, it was just what, what type of person are you? Um, what type of, are, you know, are you going to be a friend to me? Um, that started to create some fault lines in my belief. And the, the real fault lines started to develop when I took a critical thinking class in college. Um, because it, critical thinking was not really a skill that I had ever learned. And I realized very quickly in this class that 
the Bible didn't stand up to it just basic critical analysis, meaning I, well, not the Bible, but a literal interpretation of the Bible. Right. So I, I, I'm, I was taking baby steps here. Um, but I realized what is the reason that I've always been given to believe that the Bible is 100% literally true. Anytime that I expressed that question, anytime I asked that question, it was all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, whatever. It's like second Timothy, right? So a verse that is within the Bible itself was the only real tool I was ever given or the only answer I was ever given for the question, why do we believe that this is true? Um, so that like circular self-confirmation would never hold up. You know, you don't believe you like, I wouldn't believe what a journalist wrote simply because they told me it was true. I'd have to check outside sources, right? Yeah. Um, I, I would have to do research outside of that body of work in order to really verify if it was true. And that teeny tiny crack in my watertight yeah. belief system yeah. was enough. That was yeah. enough to open up the door uh, to begin to say maybe, like, maybe that's not the only thing oh. I believe that isn't true. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I guess, I yeah, like, when you, when you set yourself up like that, you know, with, um, it's just, it's so easy to fall apart <laughs> when everything has to be airtight yeah. and when you need an answer for every question, um, all you need, like all it takes is one unanswered question for the, like the whole thing to kind of unravel. Yeah. Um, so that was the beginning that, uh, that was freshman year of college and wow. Yeah. Like right yeah. off the bat. Right off the bat, first time I'm out of my parents' home, first time I'm, you know, out of my church community, um, I still was a part, you know, I still was a part of a church for years, and I still found so much meaning and purpose in the stories of the Bible in God, you know, and in, in my concept of God. So I, uh, by no means was I ready to throw the whole thing out, but I, I was wrestling, um, mostly internally really at this point and kind of shamefully, like, um, I did not express this to many people at all along this um, along this process, you know, along this journey, the kind of the, the final bookend of this period of internal wrestling, which started my freshman year of college, which was in 2005. Mm -hmm. Um, and it really was a full decade until the, the final bookend, which was the marriage equality amendment. Ooh. And yeah. when that passed in 2015, mm -hmm. My husband and I were, we were attending a church that was pretty conservative um, in its theology, actually very conservative in its theology. Um, but we kind of, we both knew like, yeah, we don't really agree with a lot of things that are, you know, we're not really sure about all this, but eh, whatever, we have friends here and we're, you know, we're going to be a part of this. And when the marriage equality amendment was passed, uh, we watched that church community mourn, um, just react really like, you know, uh, negatively to this amendment, which both my husband and I saw as a positive thing, as a, as a victory, as a huge step forward, um, for our country. Um, it was viewed as a loss of a moral center and, that was the final uh, that that was the the final thing that made us both say we can't be a part of 
this church anymore. We can't be a part of a community that says, you know, certain people because of who they love are not welcome in the kingdom of God. Um, And not just that, but are not, their marriages are not valid. That really was the statement, this incredibly um, hurtful statement that was made by our church community. And it was just a a wake up call. And it was so, uh, it was horrifying really to see the people who, um, I mean, my gut reaction was how dare you encourage and affirm and support my straight marriage while rejecting and dehumanizing my friends who are in same-sex relationships. How dare you be so kind to me if you're going to shut the door um, on other people? It's just so refreshing to hear you say that. I mean, just simply, and another reason than the fact that you are a straight person, you know, because I guess I sit in circles and I hear a lot of, you know, LGBTQ people talk about it. But, I mean, this the, the, the fury and that it kind of just, like, um, severed this, this lingering tie that you had, you know, with your past, like that is, that's crazy. It must have made you, um, a black sheep in your family though. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also kind of like a needless black sheep. Like you Mm. don't have to stand up, you know, you, you don't have to be, um, you know, taking this stand or making this step. So in a Hmm. way, you know, in a way I, I do not have, um, any of the things that a queer person has at stake. I have none of those things at Mm -hmm. stake. I, you know, um, so uh, it's easier for me to ignore, um, you know, to ignore this issue, but also, um, it's also easier for, I think, for my family and for people in my church community to kind of ignore my stance on the issue sometimes, you know, because I, um, my, my life still has, I, I'm still fitting into like the, the box that I was told I was supposed to fit into. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's complicated. Um, in some ways, I think people in my family are a little more willing to listen to what I say, or, you know, not just my family, but my, these circles, these church circles. Um, but then on the other hand, it's also easier for me to just continue on in relationship where, you know, I don't know if I could continue on in relationship, like I, I could be pushed away if I were not a, you know, a lady person married to a man. <laughs> I think, but that's like the one thing that you absolutely can do. Um, recently I was yeah. at, um, Nadia Bowles Weber did a talk here in Philadelphia for her book, uh, Shameless. And, yeah, um, yeah. some one, uh, during the question and answer portion, somebody stood up and, uh, and said, Hey, me and my, um, husband, we are both like, affirming and accepting but when you look at us we just we just look like a straight heteronormative christian couple what can we do you know and at the time i was a little disappointed in the audience because um you know nadia shot the question back out to us and said can anybody answer this and Mm -hmm. like nobody really had anything to say and i was like but you know, speaking up, you know, telling yeah. people that yeah. this is something you believe is huge. Um, yeah. Because optics mm-hmm. are a lot of the issue, you know, mm-hmm. um, looking mm-hmm. at you and and your, your husband, I'm sure your right. family were like, oh, but she got married and she finished right. school and she has right. a job. And, and thank God it was a dude. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. So like they really didn't yeah. have... Um, like, yeah, like you said, it didn't have a reason to like poke any holes in, in you and say, you didn't, you didn't do what we raised you to do. Um, you're right. In a lot of ways, um, maybe there's more it, like 
unfortunately, maybe there's a bit more stock put into my views, you know, because I did kind of, in a sense, um, follow this path that they wanted me to, you know, that they wanted me to follow that. Yeah, that's a good point. Lord Have Mercy is brought to you by Fernwood Press. Fernwood Press promotes poetry collections that speak to the human capacity for spiritual experiences. Sign up to receive a poem delivered to your inbox each morning. Fernwood Press promotes poetry collections that speak to the human capacity for spiritual experiences. Find them online at fernwoodpress.com and follow them on Instagram. When did you start to divorce um, your ideas of sex and sexuality, like your own yeah. person? How did you decide, when did you decide to divorce that and how did that work out between what your parents taught you to believe and what you came to believe, I guess, during your college years? Sure, sure. So again, this is sort of a, a situation where I feel like I flew completely under the radar and what I actually believe is completely not in line with what I grew up being taught. Mm -hmm. However, my life looks like (laughs) exactly like the way it was supposed to look. Right. Um, And uh, honestly, the reason for that is that I met the person I'm married to now, Mark, my husband, I met him when we were both pretty young Mm -hmm. and I was, I was not very far along. It was, it was right after college. So I was less than halfway through this decade long (laughs) spiritual, um, Mm -hmm. you know, spiritual transformation slash identity crisis. Um, and, and most of my views of, human sexuality changed after we were together. So I, you know, I grew up really a a central, central core belief for us was total depravity and sinfulness of, of humans and lumped in with that sometimes subtle, sometimes explicitly stated lumped in with that was a belief in the evilness of the body, the flesh, and even yes, the flesh, uh, right, and even the kind of the the downfall of the earth. So we, you know, mm-hmm. we believed that the earth was degrading, that humanity eventually would just leave the earth. You know, it's just a vessel to get us through life, and our yeah. bodies were viewed the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Our bodies were like, there's some place in um, one of Paul's epistles where he talks about his earthly tent. And we took that to mean his body, like your body is just a tent that you're wearing for now. Um, and it has nothing to do. I know. That sounds horrible. <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> <That's me. laughs> um, Emily Joy called it like our, our earthly meat suit or something meat like suit. That. that's perfect <laughs> yeah that's meat perfect. bag Ugh. you're right right so you're like you're a soul that belongs to god and god can redeem your soul but your body is done for like you know your body the earth none of this can be redeemed um and it will lead you astray. That was an important part of what we believed about our bodies was like, we're, we're full of desires and impulses that are evil. None of that is good. None of that can, um, increase our understanding of God or add to our understanding of God. It can only detract. So my, my physical experience was, and still, this is still something that I am working through and I, I, I and I expect to be working through it for a long time um, because the 
that experience of hating the body and rejecting the body is it becomes so deeply ingrained um the belief that the body is bad that we should silence and reject our oh. physical impulses so deeply ingrained and it's so um it becomes a part of every experience in life. The body is the way that we experience the world. And yeah. even the emotional, psychological experiences that we have, the experiences that are not concrete, um, they change the way that our body feels in a concrete way, right? That alone is something that I'm... I, I, I feel like that's like my, the, the next, like if 2015 was kind of the close of my spiritual, like wrestling with these beliefs, um, cut, like learning to love my body mm. is the lesson that I feel like I'm learning. Uh, it's true. Like learning, I guess I'm, I'm also in that space of learning to love yeah. my body. Because yeah. when I was a kid, I was very porky. I was just so round. I was a chubby kid. <laughs> I was yeah. so chubby. <laughs> and then, like, like, like during college and directly after college, I lost a lot of weight. And suddenly I was um, traditionally, uh, what's the word, traditionally attractive. Right, um, right. And um, things started to, to change for me, you know? And then, you know, like right now I'm a bit more heavy and it's just like trying to find ways of loving this self that isn't perfect, but is still sexual, that yeah. still has desires and, you know, that, that, that still carries me, you know, yes. from the time I wake up in the morning to the time I go back to sleep, like I am in this vessel, how do I love it and take care of it and, and not chastise it for not being enough or being too much like it is right. hard work like they're it's really hard work so much of that comes from that you know we are not our bodies we are spirits that are in these bodies you know this disassociation mm -hmm. with the bodies of purity culture mm -hmm. it is mm -hmm. a fucking mess it's a fucking yes. mess these messages are so damaging right really yes and just the idea that I like my body is telling me things. My body is, mm. is telling me what it needs and what I need. You know, sometimes my, my body will be aware of my need for human connection before I am, mm -hmm. um, in my mm -hmm. brain, yeah. you know, um, and learning to listen to that yeah. is part of the lesson. Um, it, and yes, it's, it like, I felt for growing up and well into my twenties, I felt that I was always rewarded for ignoring, silencing and denying my body. Mm, yes. Um, yeah. and for me that, uh, that developed into very disordered eating patterns and mm -hmm. eating habits in my twenties because I, I mean, I was, I was a really similar situation. I grew up chubby, always chubby and always chubby for the chubby kids. Yeah. Chubby nerd. Uh, yes. Reading know. Madeline Langle. Right. <laughs> in a quarter. Absolutely. Um, but I, I was rewarded once I got to high school and beyond. And, and once like, this is the, the difficulty that I experienced in purity culture, women are expected to walk a very thin line between uh. we, we were expected to simultaneously be feminine, beautiful, irresistible goddesses and at the very <laughs> check same, check and check thank you right, exactly <laughs> these like graceful angelic creatures that's yeah. what we were expected to be um while sim simultaneously never distracting a man oh, heaven a forbid 
man. Because that's our yeah. fault. <laughs> that's our fault. Exactly. Yeah. So you had better be thin, graceful, beautiful, feminine in all of the societally agreed upon ways. But if a man is distracted by you, that is bad. So, so there was this, this line that we were supposed to walk. And I always understood that like being the chubby nerdy kid that I was, <laughs> like my task was to watch what I ate and to always make sure I exercised and control my weight that that was part of what I was supposed to do as a woman. Um, I, you know, um, and so I, I received that message and that translated into, and it, it kind of just became fodder for all of the anxiety and just body hatred that I felt. And not when I say body hatred, like all through my twenties, it wasn't just, I don't like the way my legs look or I don't like the, you know, the fat on my arms or something like that. It wasn't that concrete. It was an overwhelming, overarching feeling of just hating being in this body, feeling out of control, feeling like I couldn't, like I couldn't predict what my body was going to be wanting or telling me to do and feeling out of control by that. And that sense of, I mean, in a culture that emphasized self-control above really everything else, because if you can't control your own impulses, even your theology doesn't matter if you can't control yourself, right? So in this culture where self-control was of utmost importance, the fact that I existed in a body that felt things that I wasn't able, you know, impulses like hunger were so disorienting to me. Um, and impulses like fullness were so disorienting to me. Mm. I didn't know how to navigate that. I didn't know how to navigate, um, being a feeling person, an embodied person, um, and being told that my soul was separate from my body made it all the more confusing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was really my, as I, I continued on exploring science and studying science, that sense of grounding in, in nature was part of what helped me to get to a place where I could begin to love being a physical person. Um, and that, that might seem like a real leap to, you know, what does science have to do with being embodied, but just an awareness of the fact that my body is made out of stuff, like actual stuff, actual cells that are communicating with each other. And they're all like, they're all working together and creating sensations, creating signals, um, and receiving signals from one another and working in harmony. My body is, is just this symphony of cells working Mm. together in reciprocity with each other, listening to each other, responding to each other, sending signals. When one is damaged, it sends a signal to its neighbors and the neighbors have no choice but to respond to that signal. Like the, these patterns really helped me to understand how good my body is. Yes. Just how good it is to be in a natural world, to be in a body. That's dope. (laughs) It just changed everything for me when I started to see that. Yeah. When, and this is the question that you can choose to answer, answer or not, but Mm -hmm. without specifics, when did you start Mm -hmm. having the kind of sex that you wanted to have? Was there like a moment where it just kind of like switched over and you gave yourself permission? Because Mm -hmm. I guess so many of us spend time 
like you said, hating our bodies, hating what they can feel and what they can do and what they desire. Um, And that affects us with intimate partners. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there, I mean, for me, um, it was a slow process, but there was a point in my, just in my spiritual trend, you know, this spiritual growth um, period, there was a point where I started to realize that I'm not, that my experience is valid and important and Mm. beautiful aside from the experience. Like as, as women, we're told that our job is it, you know, is to make another person happy and that our experience sexually is not important, is always necessary. Wives submit to your husbands is basically like the foundation for that. Absolutely. And it's so dehumanizing to women. Um, Always told, and and even told like at youth group retreats, being told like, Basically, that men are animals, absolute sexual creatures, and women, like being told by my male youth group leader that I do not have sexual impulses, that women are not sexual creatures like men are, and that we cannot possibly understand what it's like to be a sexual creature. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. 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 Even even it's in bullshit. like Christian sex ed... I don't remember anybody telling me about a clitoris. I remember there being a place to put Never. the penis and that yes. was it. It yes. wasn't, there There was nothing about female pleasure at all. Nothing. And all about um, pregnancy and uh, celibacy and, right. you know, not letting anybody get too far. Like that was it. <laughs> right. That's it. Absolutely. And it is not as though, you know, None of that changes when you're a straight girl and you get married. Like nobody, it's not like you're, you're like, you know what I mean? Like, okay, finally, uh, you're in this like sanctioned sexual relationship, right? Like, like I achieved the highest level of sexuality (laughs) according, right? You know, um, finally a woman with a man, this is everything we've ever dreamed of. But even so... Like, even as the, like, basically the poster child of Christian sex ed, right? Lady married to a man. Um, It's not like anybody, like, pulls you aside and explains to you what a clitoris is. Like, you're on your fucking own. You are on your own. Wow. Nobody helps you with that. Wow. Um, And no one helps you understand what it, just what it means to be a sexual female person, you know? Um, but it, it was again, this affirmation that I began, I like, I began to see the beauty in the natural world and that beauty drew me to embodied experiences. Right. Uh, so through affirming my own experiences, through affirming even my own body, you know, um, a really important thing for me, too, is broadening my understanding uh, or broadening my concept of beauty, broadening my concept of female beauty, um, because there there was really like one definition of like a biblical woman and a beautiful biblical woman, right? Yeah. With like this, you know, Eurocentric, be- yeah. like, right? Tall. It was Esther, not Jezebel. You right. know? Not, it was one Mary, not the other Mary. Exactly. <laughs> not that gross Mary. Uh, I, w- I was just talking actually with a friend about this children's program that we watched, um, she watched this this program in her kids' like Sunday school class when she was little, and she was saying how just unbelievably sexual Eve was in all. And this was a light bulb for me. Like, yeah, she's always naked, and she's always yeah. like <laughs> her hair strategically placed, covering her or a leaf, yeah. <laughs> 
Yes, exactly. Like the fact that Eve is, you know, fits like this modern ideal of beauty so perfectly. Yeah. Right? And all like the picture Bible, picture Bible was a big deal for me when I was growing up. I I loved my picture Bible, (laughs) but I mean, first of all, Jesus has blue eyes, right? Um, Which is one thing, but even like Rachel and Esther and Ruth, like all of these women in the Bible, they look a certain way. Mm. Um, They're all like graceful and thin and tall with long, like swooping curls, um, at least in in my particular picture Bible. So, so I I just, but I feel like I had this one image of female beauty, this one image of ideal, um, the ideal female body Mm -hmm. and intentionally broadening that has been so helpful for me mm. intentionally expanding that. Um, it's just been, it, it really has helped me to see just beauty in, in my own body and, uh, and experiencing things with my own body, thinking about how grateful I am, you know, like really intentionally, thinking about how grateful I am that my body can experience things, can feel things. Um, yeah, all of that has just been huge. And like I said, this process of embodiment, this like this growth experience where I feel like I'm growing into an embodied person. And I I just have such a feeling that this is the work I am here for right now you know yeah Elizabeth you're just you're so good to talk to so good to talk to you your voice is like soothing in a way and I came into this conversation feeling really agitated Mm. um but I've really enjoyed talking to you I can't wait for your book to come out wonderful and you're writing a devotional for the app right now and it's not your first one um, but it's a new one. Where can people find you online? How do they find out more about you or even um, sign up uh, for your uh, subscribe to your newsletter? Yes. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, the best place to find me online is my website. It's Elizabeth Uh And if you go there, you can subscribe right now. If you subscribe to my mailing list, you'll get 50% off your pre-order of my book. And you will also get, you'll receive the first chapter of the book for free. So even if you're not ready to buy it, I'll give you the first chapter for free. I promise you that you'll be hooked by then. So (laughs) uh, so yeah, you can sign up there. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at EP Jeff or on Instagram. I'm at EP Jeffries. So any of those places, but but the main, um, yeah, the main thing right now to stay in touch is to sign up for my mailing list. Yes. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. This has been wonderful. I really hope you enjoyed the show. As you can tell, I had a lot of fun talking to Elizabeth. You can find her stuff online at elizabethjeffreyswrites.com, just like she said, and you'll be able to find her new devotional on our Bible app this April. You can also find me everywhere as Crystal Cheatham or on Instagram as The Cheat. Okay, bye!